Hello, I'm Piero Vitelli, and welcome to Dancing in the Line of Fire, a podcast series exploring the delivery of presentations. The invitation is yours to contribute your thoughts to shape the final episode on Twitter using the hashtag Dancing in the Line of Fire, all one word, and in it, I'll address your points as best I can. But now, it's time for Chapter 12, Presence. Presence is a curious thing. If you need to prove you've got it, you probably never had it in the first place. It's not about ostentatious adolescent display. It should be something effortless. Someone once said, The whisper is mightier than the shout. Well, amen to that. I remember first hearing those words on a television advert for Mercedes-Benz, which starred the actor Josh Brolin. It featured him sitting in a cafe at night, working tirelessly to look accidentally ostentatious and decidedly mature whilst nursing a coffee and staring moodily into the distance through artistically falling rain, all the while framed by dark and portentous music. Presence was conferred on him thanks to the understated elegance of his car, while we, the viewer, were told in no uncertain terms that our second-hand banger would keep us out of his league until such time as we signed up for the monthly payments that would make us as cool as him. Whilst this description of presence is certainly possible and obviously desirable, it's also one that I seek to challenge when it comes to presence in the context of a presentation, and we should not forget that popular culture suggests quite strongly that it's something that a presenter should seek to have an amount of. The problem is that no one knows how much presence is the right amount to have. It's always easier to judge by its absence, and, if you'll pardon a quick detour into the murky waters of politics, it's rather like Brexit in that it's impossible to get everyone to agree on what it actually is. The Collins Dictionary suggests that if you say someone has presence, you mean that they impress by their appearance and manner. Well, if that's so, then not only is it easy to achieve through a new outfit and a visit to a beautician, but it also means that Josh Brolin was telling us lies when he said that if you have to prove you've got it, you never had it in the first place. The Cambridge Dictionary offers that presence is a quality that makes people notice or admire you even when you're not speaking. It's not hard to imagine wanting to be that amazing, but I'm not sure I would know how to set about developing a quality that I can have no way of knowing what it is without the help of feedback or a focus group. Merriam-Webster tells us that it's a noteworthy quality of poise. I'm pretty sure they don't mean that we should just strike the most elegant pose we can and hope for the best, but that's what it suggests to me. Now, yes, I am being a little bit facetious, but these definitions strike me as being less than useful and more than similar to what I often hear the panel judges discussing, evaluating and celebrating during auditions on the television programme The X Factor, 
which might account for why a small but noticeable number of participants on my workshops say they want to develop theirs in the same way. I think the problem lies in the definition of presence. Josh Brolin, Mercedes and the X Factor judges are promoting and discussing the kind of presence that you can have, the kind that can be bought, that can be evidenced, and that makes other people want to be just like you. In other words, presence for them is virtually everything that the Mercedes voiceover says it isn't and is hugely reminiscent of the 1970s adverts for denim aftershave, which featured the now infamous tagline, for the man who doesn't have to try too hard. Incidentally, as an aside, I've rehearsed that last line a number of times in my effort to get the pause before too hard just right, and my failure to do so explains why this podcast series won't be featuring an episode on timing. Thankfully, presence is far easier than timing as it's not something we need to develop or have. It's something we need to concentrate on and be. Presence is just what the word suggests. It is being present. It's a four-way relationship that connects you, the particular person with whom you're engaging, and the space and time in which that engagement takes place. It is both delicate and robust. Delicate in that if any of the four variables disconnects, the presence can falter. And robust in that the fuel for it is nothing more than our focus of attention. The challenge for the presenter is to become present at the start and then to remain present for the duration of the presentation. Easy to describe and easy in theory to do, Remaining present is what makes presenting absolutely exhausting because we rarely have to do it for long periods of time. The next time you're travelling on a motorway, keep an eye out for other cars where there are no passengers accompanying the driver and look at their face as you pass them or they pass you. It will probably scare the living daylights out of you because the chances are that you will see someone driving whilst almost completely absent. And absence is the opposite of presence. I know I do it. I'm driving along quite happily, but my face is blank and my eyes without expression because my thoughts are elsewhere. Perhaps reflecting on the workshop I'm driving home from or planning what I need to do that weekend all the while I'm driving perfectly safely, able to change lanes, adjust my speed, and know when I'm approaching my exit, because that's all done automatically in the way we discussed in Chapter 3. Should something unexpected happen, such as someone cutting in front of me, the car hitting a pothole, or the sudden sound of a siren, I would snap into the present moment in an instant to take some course of action. But afterwards... Once the emergency had passed, I would most likely return to a comfortable state of absence. Daydreaming, being deep in thought, and pondering what to have for dinner, these are what keep us from being present in everyday life. Chastising yourself for saying the wrong word, carrying the embarrassment of a malfunctioning computer for several minutes and constantly praying for the end of a presentation to come quickly. These and many other mental detours are what prevent us from being present during our presentations.
Another way to think about it is to view presence in the context of our lives as a whole. It is minute and fleeting. When you think about it, it's obvious that all the experiences and achievements of our lives are in the past, whilst all our goals and aspirations lie ahead of us, and we naturally spend most of our time reliving memories or imagining the future. My mind is a constant jumble of thoughts. How good was the dinner I had last night? Shouldn't I have spent more time editing this script before recording it? I can't wait for Friday when the children come home from school and the weekend starts. When will I finish this podcast series? The present moment is tiny, and it's forever stuck between these two much larger areas, rather like the bottleneck in an hourglass. The present moment is each advancing second, and if we're present in it, then we will have presence. It sounds a bit daft to say it like that, and it's not the sort of thing you might hear Simon Cowell say, but I think it's true. But how do you do it? How do you become present? Here's an exercise using some of your senses that might help. You can do it anywhere, but it helps if you are still rather than walking, and for reasons that will become obvious, it works best when you're not listening to a podcast. But have a go with me and see what happens. It involves focusing on what you can see, hear, and feel, and it works like this. First, pick an object that you can see in front of you and look at it. Perhaps something on the table or wall, or if you're outside, choose something not too far away. Part of a building or something in a tree, perhaps. Study it and notice every detail you can about it. How big is it? Is it fixed or movable? What about colour and shape? Is it shiny, rough or smooth? Do you think it's heavy? What do you think it smells like? Try to explore every aspect of it and get as much of a sense about it as you can. Next, pick a sound you can hear, perhaps nearby or maybe distant. Again, focus on it to determine as much as you can about it. Is it constant, like distant motorway traffic? Or occasional, like birdsong? Is it loud or quiet? Pleasant to your ear or discordant? Sustained or quick? Is it muted or clear? Finally, scan the inside of your body and pick a sensation to focus on. Perhaps a tension in your jaw or tongue, a sensation of warmth in your back, or the gentle fall and rise of your chest as you breathe. Notice whatever you can about it and keep your focus on just one feeling. If it's tension, see if you can direct your attention to help release it. If it's your breathing, just notice how your body adjusts around the volume of air flowing into or out from your lungs. Now, Go back to the first object you were looking at, and pick another not too far away. Compare and contrast the two objects. Which one is bigger, heavier, more colourful, nearer, smoother, and so on. Notice every detail about them that you can. Then switch to the sound you had isolated. Can you still hear it? If so, pick another one to compare it with, 
perhaps louder or more distant, notice the differences. Are they related in any way? Take your time to construct a sound profile, a way of describing or representing the sound for each one. Notice the differences. And lastly, go back to the sensation inside your body. Once you've got it, then scan the outside of your body for another sensation to compare it to. Choose from all the sensations against your body, perhaps your feet against the floor, or your clothes against your skin. If you're sitting, notice the sensation of where the chair contacts your body. Compare and contrast the sensations. Notice how you now feel. Hopefully quite calm and, if you were following along throughout, almost certainly you're not now as aware of the past or future as perhaps you were before we started the exercise. Clearly, with my voice in your head, the sound part of the exercise will have been a bit difficult, but the rest will have been possible. And anyone watching you would have noticed a quality about you that they might describe as presence, simply because you were present with what you could see, hear and sense. The late Robin Williams was an incredibly talented comedian and actor, and more than one film was made simply by pointing a camera at him, switching it on and capturing the contents of his mind as it tumbled out. Watch any of his television interviews and it's an incredible mix of improvisation, juxtaposed thoughts, word associations, sharp humour and lightning speed wit. There can't be an interviewer that faced him on a chat show that didn't feel as though they were hanging on for dear life with no idea where they would end up. But some of his films weren't comedies. He played ordinary characters and in those, he is an equally compelling performer, not for the way he delivers his lines, or holds the focus, or creates a mood, but for how he reacts to other actors while they lead the action. He never upstages them, but if you look in his eyes, you get the sense that there's always something going on, and it's always about him, in character, relating to the other actor in that very moment. He's not daydreaming or waiting for his cue line, he's just incredibly present in the moment, and I've long wondered if that was the only way he could silence the many voices that seemed to always fill his head when he was being himself. Presence is a muscle, and the more you practice it, the easier it becomes, and the quicker you can access it, and, in time, you'll be able to do it in the pause you take after arriving in front of your audience, while they settle, and before you start. If you want to see an example of someone for whom being present seemed to be second nature, just search online for any television interview with Vincent Price. He was an American actor responsible for a large body of work, but who is perhaps best remembered for making horror films in the 1960s and 70s. Many celebrities regard the personal appearances they have to make for the promotion of their latest film, book or song as a bit of an onerous task, but not him. Or perhaps him, but he found the choice to be present during them easier than most. I've seen him interviewed by people like Michael Parkinson and Terry Wogan, and they are fascinating interviews to watch. 
in them, you see a man reveling in the moment and focusing completely on nothing but who he is with and what they are discussing. His career, or whatever he's promoting, always seems incidental or secondary to the interviewer, who remains his focus throughout. I once heard an anecdote that described him as having a look on his face as though he had crossed the Atlantic, just to have a chat. Presence is giving the person with whom you are speaking every last ounce of your attention in that moment. It's not a skill, and nor is it the gift of a talented few. It's a choice that each of us can make, but it takes effort and practice. Thank you for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget that you can join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag Dancing in the Line of Fire, all one word, and any comments or questions you may have will shape the content of the last episode. If you want to find out more about the work I do, then please visit island41.com, and I look forward to your company next time. <music>